CMS Real Deal podcast, where we take a step back from the legal nitty gritty and provide insight into issues affecting the property industry. I'm Claire Thomas, standing in for our regular host, Danny Drummond-Brassington, and today I'm joined by Naveen's Innovation and Technology Strategist, Jack Sibley, and Alex Eds, Director of Innovation at JLL. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one of the things that we've been doing at CMS is looking at the impact of technology and specifically artificial intelligence on all of the sectors that we work in, from financial services to energy and, of course, real estate. So, Jack and Alex have joined me today to talk about smart buildings and the impact of AI. Real estate is often criticised for being a bit behind the curve when it comes to technology, but you both have pretty interesting job titles involving innovation and technology and ones that perhaps didn't exist in this sector maybe five or so years ago. So I'd love to hear a bit about what you do and what does SMART mean in your organisation? Sure, yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy to kick off. This is uh, Jack, of course. Uh, my work came about, because I suppose, about in 2016, 2017, we really saw the, um, the velocity behind technology and innovation as a general kind of fuzzy theme, let's call it. Um, within the real estate industry and within the impact on our business really start to take off. Um, and we, we really see ourselves as being in the first innings of a wider period of technological transformation, digital disruption, whatever kind of buzzword label you want to put on it. Um, and what we're um, very conscious of is we need to make sure that we're, we've got the right, um, I suppose, the right setup in place to make sure that we come out of this period a net winner over that side. Um, and so my role, um, I moved into my role on kind of a dedicated basis about 12 months ago. Um, and at the time it was much, you know, much of it was around, you know, take this big fuzzy ball of, you know, noise and signal and smoke and fire um, and work out where we need to position ourselves strategically um, to be able to make the most of the opportunities and, you know, be defensive against the threats. So Alex, where is JLL coming from? Yeah, sure. So thank you. Um, I guess, you know, I think a lot of what Jack has said is, is absolutely rings true with us. I mean, clearly JLL, slightly different organisation, very much focused on servicing its clients. And in fact, actually, the, the catalyst for my role, which is three years old-ish now, um, and I've been at JLL before that, um, and actually smarts and smart buildings very much was sort of formed the, the basis of the business case of creating my role, um, which was... Where were you before? Well, I was in the sustainability team okay. um, and actually worked at Nuveen, or was what was then TH Real Estate. So natural progression then from sustainability <laughs> then to we, the we next We taught Alex everything, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was interesting actually, both, you know, I was a consultant at JLL advising clients on sustainability, i.e. how to make their buildings more sustainable, um, I then went to Naveen and was trying to do that, you know, for them as part of you know how they're managing their their, their investments and indeed they still have and indeed have grown that team and then came back into JLL to sort of look at how we're doing that corporately and the sort of common denominator between all three of those was and actually over that period of time, ten year period, was there's an increasing amount of typically technically technically technology driven get it right technology driven applications um, that are trying to solve some of the problems around sustainability. You know, energy use being a example but the challenge that they were having and I, you know I sort of specifically look at this this sort of core you know, vertical within within the within the sort of smart building agenda were really finding it difficult to scale um, and so they were coming to me they were coming to clients they were you know they were sort of badgering um, everybody about well we've got a great product we've got a great solution but we just can't get scale in the real estate market 
And that led us to, and ultimately was the catalyst for my role being created, is how can we as JLL help accelerate, ultimately by understanding what that product is, assessing it, understanding whether it actually does what it says on the tin, uh, proving the ROI for us and our clients, and then ultimately scaling it through to, to, to our clients. And that process, albeit has sort of grown exponentially in terms of beyond just sort of smart building, um, and my role has sort of gone with it, um, actually was the, as I said, was the catalyst for my role. So interesting that it's almost come full circle, and particularly here for today, in that, um, you know, what was be- the beginning of my role is you know, yeah. where, we are, where we are now. So. And you've both mentioned that lots of different products out there. And Alex, you were at the round table that we had at the end of last year, a great room full of industry experts. And we started with what is a smart building? And I think that was sort of quite difficult to identify. And I wonder if you've got thoughts on what actually makes a building smart? Yeah, I mean, look, I think everyone's going to give you a slightly different flavour and interpretation. Um, and I think really crucial is to that, that question and the definition is completely dependent upon who you are, who you are or who's asking. Um, and I be, and I mean that by are you the developer? Are you the you know the, the, the money behind it? Are you the developer? Are you the occupier? Are you the person managing it? You're all going to have very different drivers as to what you want to get out of that building. Uh, but fundamentally, for me anyway, a, a, a smart a smart building, or probably more um, aptly, an intelligent building, is one that responds to you know the use case of that building. So if I'm a tenant of that building, the building is equipped to respond to me. Um, if I'm a manager of that building, the building is yeah. equipped to respond to me. Um, so depending on what you're using that building for or who you are um, will depend on the specifics behind that. Um, but I think that, um, that sort of umbrella term, I think, though, crucially, and I know you're gonna, we're going to talk about this a bit later, that no building's an island. Um, and I think however smart you make a building, really the sort of true, I guess, value benefit of a truly intelligent or truly smart um, workspace is one that's plugged into its environment. Yeah. Um, and then you're into the whole realm of smart cities, which is think, even more ambiguous. Yeah, someone <laughs> used a really nice sort of definition at the round table, and they said a smart building is like a smart person in that it can teach you or tell you something. So I think that follows on mm-hmm. from what you've just said. Jack, your boo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, similarly to Alex, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a threshold at which a building goes from dumb to smart. Um, and... I, yeah, I think there's there's obviously some um, indicators that you say of what isn't a smart building, and it's probably easier to define that at the moment in terms of there's probably a base level of technologies, especially around kind of the sustainability side, for example, that you'd expect to see in a building like a BMS, for example, um, where we've got to where we've got to on that. My, my take on it, and again from more of a landlord perspective, is. Uh, I think the really interesting thing around this is not necessarily the, the technologies themselves, but how the deployment of those technologies and efforts to make a building more responsive and, and, and smart, in inverted commas, um, leads you change, start to change the relationship between a landlord and a tenant and between the building and its surroundings, you know, coming, coming off the back of what you said. And I think um, we were talking, it, you know, talking about it just, just before we started this conversation here about how hard it is sometimes to align all the different stakeholders within a building which goes from, you know, from, from our point of view, you know, our investor capital, us as the investment advisors, the property management side and the tenants, all of whom have you know, slightly different priorities who are looking to get something slightly different out of their version of, of SMART. 
Um, and also, I think the really interesting thing is how those kind of lines between what the conventional roles of those stakeholders would have been in, you know, let's say when, when you were just selling an office building, for yeah. example, as here's four white walls, see you in 10 years kind of thing, to where it is now, which is uh, that all those lines that used to be quite, um, you know, I suppose straight and defined are becoming much, much more blurred. So what does, you know, a landlord's role versus a tenant's role being in terms of should we be helping provide the sensors and the workplace analytics for that tenant, for example, what does, you know, how, how different is a co-working firm or a flexible office firm like a Notel or a WeWork from a JLL in terms of their property management services or occupier services teams, for example. And I think that's why we feel this is a, it's a really interesting time to have this conversation, but also to, to work in this industry and to be in roles like ours, because the answer is no one's really got, you know, the exact um the crystal ball on where this is all going to play out. It's about exploring this as we evolve and to understand what does a you know what what does a smart building mean? What can a smart building mean? And how also and I think probably more more impactful than the actual technologies we're going to be putting into the buildings. How does the whole organisational structure of running a building and all those relationships that are that are kind of contingent on that? How do they change because of the kind of second order impacts of technology? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think this means for tenants? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately, and I, and you know, picking up on what Jack said, I think ultimately the tenant is is the most important stakeholder, um, and I think too often that's, or for a long time rather, that has been the, the the sort of wants and the needs of the tenant has been quite far removed from a the organisation, perhaps you know, if it's an outsourced property manager who's managing, if you like, the building and and, and what goes what goes on in the building. But also, actually, the, you know, the money and who's who's ultimately whether the value of that building and why is that why has it got value, um, and the fairly sort of rudimentary principles behind which we sort of value um, land and, and buildings. And I think moving into as, as as Jack mentioned, I think not only not only is tech there to sort of support in and actually you know smart buildings from a operational or usability, but actually the influence that's going to have on the business models that are created yeah. off the back of it. And I think that's your famous. 330, yeah. 300. Do you want to talk us Yeah, sure. That? So I, I still don't actually know why it's not 110, 100. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wondering that as well, to be honest. You're so good, and your maths is all really yeah, good. Um, I don't want me to that. But anyway, I mean, ultimately, you know, to that point is that, um, you know, a building obviously is made up of, of its component parts, um, and you've got operators in that building managing the space, but you've also got tenants. And, and I guess depending on how, and again, you know, depending on each building, whether it's a you know, multi-let building or whatever, but you've got um, the cost of you know, running the building, um, the cost of renting the space, and then obviously the cost of all the people in the building, and, and by far and away, so that you know, to, to use the phraseology there, the, the hundred, the biggest piece of the pie is you know how much is my labour, how much is how much my staff costs in this building versus how much am I paying for energy to run the building? It's a fraction, and too often because it's tangible, because it's measurable. The industry and the and the, the technology and the data has followed where the pound signs are easily yeah. calculable, um, whereas actually the big prize is in well how are my people performing in this building and I think that is and I'm, this is not this is not saying anything new but that is yeah. absolutely the sort of holy grail of, of where so I think if we can use smart buildings and technology and it increases productivity and engagement and it reduces absenteeism then that actually has a much bigger impact on the overall success of a business than knocking Huge. a couple of quid per square foot off the cost of the rent. Yeah. No, fun enough, actually, I actually was in a podcast, um, two, I think about two years ago, um, with uh, um, 
with James Disley and Eddie and Eddie Holmes. Um, it's probably more than two years ago actually. When I actually said, you know, the day will come when a large corporate occupier will approach a landlord and, and ask as part of the prerequisite of leasing that space, how does this building demonstrate performance against sick building syndrome or against you know some of the key KPI metrics that I have as an employer around my about my staff workforce and they'll want to see how you know demonstrated through evidence um, that a building is, is equipped to support that um, as much as it is to you know it's just going to reduce my energy consumption by X you know the building actually is also equipped to, to deal with those things. Which leads us nicely on actually I think to data you know we collect loads of data in real estate from our buildings and I just wondered whether you have a sense of do we know what we're doing with this data? Is it artificial intelligence that's going to be the real game changer in terms of how we analyse this, Jack? Yeah, um, I, I think that's the one of the, one of the many million dollar questions in this area. Um, just just to come around in a circle to answer that and, and pick up on some of what Alex said in the last point. I think you know the reason that tenant yeah, that historically when we say we as landlords haven't been focused on that 300 prize rather than the three prize um, has always been because of that, you know, those very strict lines between, well, that's the tenant job to figure out the two, 300, we run the kind of infrastructure and they do the kind of value added pieces. And it comes back to that business model line blurring um, on that side in terms of what then tenants can actually get out of a smart building. Um, it's that, you know, effectively they're, they're it's, real estate is becoming a leader for building that community and that culture piece, which is what more and more of their talent actually want to see. And, and we're becoming more and more of a, you know, a, a talent-led economy where that's your main differentiator rather than anything else. Um, and so in terms of how data then comes into that, um, I think there's probably two, two extremes that we see polarizing. On, on one side, I think there are some things that are going to become, as, as, you, you know, as you talk more about culture and community and these kind of um, I suppose metrics, or not even metrics, but indicators, um, it becomes, even though already it's not easy necessarily to to quantify and to find correlations between you know, building performance and absenteeism, for example, it becomes even harder to do for things yeah, as, as kind of qualitative and, and fuzzy as culture or the sense of community, for mm -hmm. example. Um, part of that, if I was being serious, <laughs> that's why yeah, some people have lots of questions about that WeWorks valuation, which I think is built on a concept of community yeah. rather than that. But I think that the point on the flip side is, so you've got, you've got that kind of more, I suppose the benefits are becoming fuzzier in some ways, but some of the other benefits are becoming much more tangible uh, and much more measurable. And so on the data side, whether that's, air quality, temperature, um, whether that's space utilization, these are all new data sources that historically we, we weren't used to, you know, from a landlord perspective, certainly, even if tenants were doing it themselves, we weren't used to seeing, we weren't used to, I suppose, having at our fingertips. Um, and I think on the data side, we're at this moment, we're at this point at the moment where we probably need, everyone needs to um, become more sophisticated in how they, they approach that. Um, and how they also build that into the relationship with tenants as well. I think you can't get away from that business model change of there's probably going to be lots of offices going forward that do actually have, you know, still very lots of silos of data within them. Yeah. Um, and the question is, the GDPR questions, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes that can be a good thing. Yeah. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. Um, I think GDPR is a really interesting one because we, we hear a lot of talk about, no, you can't collect that data because GDPR... But actually, I think it's about how the data is sort of collected and it's about giving people control over their data 
but if there's a benefit for them sharing the data with the landlord of the building because they get to work in a better place that's more personal to them, then there is no problem with it. So I think it's easy to hide behind GDPR, but that's probably not the issue. It's maybe more of Yeah, I completely agree. I think often, too often I get it all the time from, from you know, the, the police, as it were. Um, you can't do that because of GDPR. Whereas actually you can if you do it in this way yeah. um, and you engage the, the people in the right way. So um, I would just say around data, and I think you know really, really important around... Interesting, actually, I was with a, a corporate the other day and this sort of came true, this sort of you know, really came to the fore in terms of we think about the disconnect between landlords and tenants and we kind of think of these the sort of two entities and all why aren't they sharing data? But actually, even within large corporates, mm. you know, you've got the HR team, you've got the facilities team, and then you've got all the services that they operate in IT. They're not talking to each other. So actually, there's, there's, there's also a shift as well, even within corporates, to fully understand you know, the performance of their staff you know, in the workplace is to, you know, they, those departments need to start linking together and actually sharing data themselves. And only then, really, can you then link that data with the landlord or, you know, the service provider to say, well, actually, if you plug that into our, you know, BMS system or into our lighting system or, you know, access control system, we can start to tell you where your people are going and, and likewise, you can understand what they prefer or what they don't prefer. So I think, look, this is an evolving subject. I think to answer your very first question, no, we're nowhere near understanding the data. I think workplace scientists or equivalent type job roles will become prominent across the industry um, because absolutely there's a huge amount of data coming through, um, but at the moment we're not really tapping it properly. And I just want to, I think on your last point, I think this, the, the, the cutting edge of innovation at the moment seems to be being done within those data silos. So within workplace analytics, for example, there's a lot of focus on within um, you know, sensors capturing new data, there's a lot of uh, innovation being done. It's still at that point where I think all the different areas are maturing, and I think in the next couple of years, the real challenge is going to be how do we actually link all that together and go from having you know, a smart BMS and a smart workplace strategy, et cetera, into putting that together into a smart building. And it's not as, it's not as simple as just connecting the data sources into a data lake. It's figuring out what is the actual value that we can create by having... Um, by connecting these and how do we actually create actionable insights that people are also actually going to act on. That's the kind of second part of the story is, um, you know, the kind of people that historically have worked in real estate or have worked in facilities management aren't as used to dealing with, you know, real-time live insights um, and the adoption challenges in even, you know, even if you've got the smartest building, if you've got, you know, people who aren't, who aren't well-equipped to actually run it and to make decisions based off that data, um, that can also be a challenge and you know, that brings us on to AI a bit as, as one of the yeah. solutions. And, and I guess the wider question is not only do we need to think about how smart the building is itself, but then how does that connect to the wider city? We've talked a lot about creating communities and I guess there's no point in having a smart building if it's not connected to the outside world. So when does the smart journey start? Mm-hmm. Uh, at home. Yeah. Wake up. Um, <laughs> Alexa, presumably yeah, absolutely, wakes you it should be. You know, if if you want to offer your, and again, I'm not going to name any names, but I I went to a, a client the other day and um, really nice office. You know, once you walk in, once you get through security, really nice office. But getting from the station to their building was horrendous. So as an employee, if you're trying to sort of bring in the best talent, and that's your journey every morning or every evening, that's not great. Mm. So I think absolutely it's about how can I think about you know where I locate my space or where I locate my building. Do I need to have you know a portfolio of spaces to accommodate where my staff are, 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 you know, where they live and where they travel from? 
and can I give them the flexibility to work wherever they want? Um, but when they do come into the space that we provide, you know, obviously making sure that that building and that space is is completely connected to into the wider environment, and that goes for the amenities. And now everybody wants to you know have access to gyms and you yeah. know, local local sort of restaurants, etc. So, yeah, I just want to add th- three very quick points on that. I think the first one is. Um, when you think, of, I think we have to acknowledge that the space we're providing to our corporates and the space that corporates themselves are providing aren't necessarily the sole location of work anymore. And how do we fit into that wider network? And how does that change our thinking about what we actually need to provide in that office and how do we make it more plug and play? Secondly, I think in terms of exactly that kind of journey to the office, I mean, that's something that I think has really been a bit of a silent revolution over the last five to 10 years, how you know, smart placemaking, I suppose, would be the kind of buzzword you put on it. Um, but how much value is now ascribed to placemaking and common space um, in and around buildings versus where that was 10, 15 years ago, when having to kind of manage common space and common areas around the building was almost seen as um, you know a problem rather than an opportunity. Um, and then I think lastly, the other thing I see from lots of kind of prop tech and real estate is and one of the challenges is how do we own that whole do we own that whole journey or, mm. or, or probably the reality is, is is that we don't because it's not going to be your you know Naveen office assistant waking you up at home that'd be a bit creepy it's probably going to be one of these larger <laughs> you know very, very powerful um, consumer tech brands like a Google or an Amazon yeah. or those kind of things and how do we you know as you know, relatively um, you know small players in the digital lives of some of our consumers in many cases how do we actually plug in um, plug into that itself and, and one example of I think a failure in that some in some ways has been if you look at like apps for retail for example um, you know a, adoption rates on yeah. them are often um, very low um, you know in, in the single uh, you know yeah. single uh, digit uh, percentage terms of total footfall because at the end of the day do you actually you know do you love that shopping center enough to actually have an app mm-hmm. of it on your phone and I think offices are slightly different because you spend much more time there but there's some of those areas that the, the art solution is not always just to throw more tech at it. It's how do we actually link in with the rest of their digital lives. Um, and I think that's maybe something that we all need to take away is that there isn't going to be one single developer or landlord or tenant who creates the next generation of smart buildings on their own. It's going to be through collaboration between lots of different stakeholders that we we do this. And I think we could probably go on for a lot longer, but um, just about run out of time. But that was a great conversation. Thank you both so much. Um, quick plug for CMS. Do check out our dedicated AI website and look out for our new report on smart buildings and the approach being taken in the UAE. But thank you. That's been great. Thank you. Thank you.